This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. We are so lucky to be talking to Dan Fenwick today. In this episode, he talks about how recruiters can help us in our career strategy and what information you should take to a potential recruiter, why large organizations, not just the small ones, outsource recruitment, and what to look out for when aligning to a recruitment agency. So let me tell you a little bit about Dan. So he really is on a mission to standardize a life enhancing recruitment experiences. So he is deeply committed to finding purpose and joyfully pursuing his potential and carving a path for others to do the same. I think it's fair to say that me and Dan have very much a similar outlook when it comes to career development and what we should be focusing our attention on. So it's really interesting for those synergies to come out in this conversation today. You'll hear more about him in the episode, but I do want to tell you that he has previously been MD of a leading management consultancy, a CMO of a Berlin-based leadership development company, founder of a community-driven physical and mental health wellness, CIC, so community interest company, and he's now founder of Venture 10, a talent matchmaking specialist. Dan spends his time developing winning strategies building the sales and marketing from systems to teams to brands and coaching leaders to think bigger, be better and go bolder. What a mission. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. It's really great to have you here this morning. It's great to be here, Hannah. Thanks for having me. And I'd love it if you could start by just briefly introducing yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, So my name's Dan Fenwick. I'm the uh, founder of Venture 10. Uh, We're a recruitment company, but we like to think of ourselves as talent matchmakers. Um, and I am a father of a five-year-old and um, I like to to get up uh, the odd mountain every now and again in my spare time so that's me. I love it we have lots of synergies there. (laughs) Um, I would like to start by asking you to kind of go back to the beginning of where all this started because you know when I was in school nobody said um, this is a career like become a recruiter it's an actual career so can you take me back to your kind of origin of becoming a recruiter. Yeah, cool. Um, And the same for me as well. Nobody said, you know, head in this direction necessarily. Um, I was always pretty entrepreneurial. Um, I started my first business at 12, official business at 12. Uh, I did a bit of playground trading and stuff like that. But but I started a car wash at at 12 um, on our housing estate. And then a new estate uh, was developed next door. And yeah, we moved into there. So we had two uh, rounds going at the same time. Um, and then I did, um, I was keen on a bit of a split between maths and science, did triple science at GCSE, but also writing. I really love like the creative element, which uh, might be a bit um, odd to some. Um, and uh, I did further maths, physics at A-level. And I was sort of guided a little bit just from comments, uh, really, I guess, from sort of tutors and teachers to pursue engineering. Um, So that's what I did at at university. And a couple of things happened around that time, but one in particular was I found myself stood in a field 
um, with a high-vis jacket that was about five times too big for me. Um, it was absolutely pouring down with rain and my fingers were so cold, they were numb at the end. Um, and I had to move this tiny little dial to get the gauge right on this piece of equipment we were using. And I can remember just standing there thinking, I haven't got much hope that engineering's the career for me. So, um, so that was that. Um, and I uh, shortly after went into sales. So um, started in a sales career, probably went back to that entrepreneurial um, uh, spirit and um, went into sales and marketing leadership roles and ended up running a management consultancy for about five, four, five years. Um, and they specialized in neuro-linguistic programming. So then I got into, um, you know, uh, people development, how people work, how teams work, um, uh, how uh, results can be changed from the way that people collaborate together. Um, and then I was asked to uh, join somebody in launching a new division in a recruitment agency. So again, the entrepreneurial, you know, pull drew me in and it was oh, something new and let's create something. And we put something forward, you know, a new way, a new method, um, a new style of doing recruitment that was good for everybody um, and not just necessarily commercially for the business. But of course, um, when things take a lot of time and, uh, you know, need investment and things like that, um, sometimes it, it's uh, uh, not the route that gets taken. So we picked up the mantle on that. Venture 10 was born. Um, and we, our sort of purpose really was to be a, a trusted partner to people navigating their careers, um, but also for companies um, and, and business owners, particularly heart-led business owners, people that were really there for people, not just, you know, recruiting in volume. Um, and and getting the synergy right that that's that's was our sort of core focus um and ever since we've been on a a mission to standardize a life enhancing recruitment experience um because from what we know and what we've heard it's sometimes not the greatest of experiences so if we can change that it'll be worth doing i love that i absolutely love that i hadn't quite realized how much of a science geek you were yeah <laughs> brilliant um for me, though, uh, for the clients that I have, often they don't even hear about recruitment until perhaps moving beyond academia. And it's not necessarily a thing that we get taught about. So I think, first of all, it'd be really great to clarify what recruitment actually is and how it can be helpful for an individual as well as organizations, because I know you've mentioned there about recruiting in volume and individually. So can we have a bit more clarification around that first, please? Sure. And, and I, I guess most of, most of my sort of um, experience, particularly recently over the sort of past three years or so, um, will come from agency recruitment. Um, I spent, particularly with the management consultancy, I spent, you know, most of our time alongside HR directors who you know obviously run talent teams and things like that um but yeah from a from a recruitment um point of view I guess there's there's sort of three major contributors so you've got you know the company doing the recruiting um, and they're either doing that um you know internally or they're working with an agency so the agency is the second piece and then um, obviously you've got the individual um that is either speaking with the agent about various companies or they're speaking to companies themselves and what I found when asked to look into, you know, doing recruitment a little bit differently, um, was that 
they they weren't all working for the common goal, which I found really quite odd. Um, so the company would start with often start with a, a lack of clarity, either from a planning perspective. Um, you know, if you asked an organization, what does your org chart look like in the next six, 12 months? Um, you'd get a bit of a sort of blank face. Um, so how can we really start to prepare, you know, both the team and look at what capacity we've got inside the business and start to think about who would be really great, not just to fit within the business, but to add to the business. Um, and if we if we don't know what that looks like, we we can't we can't really you know select that person or start to speak develop relationships with that person. So um, that from a from a company perspective meant that if they were getting good results, they didn't really know why. Um, and if they were getting poor results, then what they would do is reach out to an agency. Um, but if they're reaching out to an agency with a lack of clarity on their own part then now all the agency's done is taken that lack of clarity on and, and, and they're going to the market maybe with a with a bit more force, but still with that lack of clarity. So, and often the, the model that exists at the moment um, very sort of widely is the, the agent won't get paid until the person's enrolled. So what happens is the, the company reaches out to a recruiter and says, can you find us somebody and they will start to send some CVs over with that lack of clarity. So there's a lot of hope involved. And depending on the response, the recruiter will then decide what they do next. So if the company doesn't get back to them, if they just send a one-line email saying these CVs are no good, um, you know, whatever it may be, then the recruiter is more likely then to deprioritize them and move to another company because they're not being paid for what they're doing which is going out and engaging and speaking to people and finding out, you know, where they're at and where they want to go. And so they'll shift somewhere else where they feel they've got a better chance. So what that leaves the company in a position is I've got a, I've got a consultant here not doing anything. I'm already my internal team struggling. And now I've got a recruiter that is also not getting me any results and I haven't heard from for a few weeks. So what they'll do is go to another agency and another agency and another agency and, Sometimes companies will work with three or five or 10, even 20. I've, I've had companies that say we work with 20 agencies and sometimes it's on the same role. So they'll post the role, the 20 agents will just pick up the job description and start gathering CVs. So it's really a race um, and it's rewarded on speed. Um, and again, for them, you know, if they get good results, they'll align with one. Um, and if they don't get good results, then they'll, they'll go elsewhere. So what that means then for the individual is that there's a really strong chance that their CV is being posted all over the place, which, you know, we know particularly if we're we're, um, you know, developing our careers, we're building our profiles, uh, we're attempting to develop relationships in the right place with any sort of purpose. To be mass mailing our CV all over the place, particularly if it's in our industry, could actually be more damaging than it is helpful, um, and, you know. If the, again, from sort of an individual perspective, if there's a, a bit of a lack of clarity there, then we can't, again, we can't explain that to the recruiter. So we're not guiding or directing them in any way. Um, so often the communication is poor there as well. So we've got sort of three points of a triangle, which are all orientated on fear, really. The agents fearing that the company's not going to hire, the company's fearing that the agent's not going to get back to them. The candidates fearing that their CV is going to go everywhere and they're going to end up with lots of um, uh, introductions that aren't relevant to them. 
so it's orient orienting around the wrong thing that's sort of the the um typically how it how it works at the minute and that that all really stems right back at the beginning with a lack of clarity and we can change that straight away from you know the company can can change that by you know leaning into uh, that planning and and you know the profile of of the of the um, people that they're looking for and depending on you know their their goals either the bigger goals or the shorter term sort of milestones um, but without the without the clarity it becomes really difficult for the companies to to hire in general but to measure and improve on on what they're doing um, and often you'll the phrase you'll get is well you know recruitment's just luck um you know it's just it's just guesswork but that's just not true um you know if we 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 know how boiling water works um you know but if we if every time water boiled or food cooked or you know something melted it we we felt it was luck um you know, how, how big or small the stove is or how long or short it takes, or it would be really difficult to get any sort of consistency. We certainly wouldn't have any recipe books or anything like that. Um, and all, all we're missing really is the temperature something needs to boil at or change form in, how long it needs to be heated for, what the volume of the material is. Um, you know, and as soon as we know these variables, then it becomes really easy. You know, water, 100 degrees, depending on the volume, is a length of time. And as long as you do that, every single time you'll get a result. So we we really believe that recruitment could be the same um, if we just knew what the variables were. Um, and of course, that takes a little bit of time and humans are complex because, you know, we're, we're ever evolving and changing. But um, there's, there's, there's key things if you look over... Um, things either longevity of careers or enjoyment of careers performance in careers um, and you look at them and and you know um, sort of compare and relate them you see key themes coming out all the time so um, yeah that's um, that's that's our sort of uh, mission that's what we're having fun figuring out <laughs> and it does sound like you actually have a methodology now that you're trying to as you say have your own recipe for recruitment can you walk us through what your particular methodology is currently? Yeah, so I guess it's based around two things. So we developed what we call a talent model, um, and that is largely based around marketing strategy. Um, and then we developed a synergy system, which is largely based around dating. Um, so, so wait, 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 say that again. <laughs> have you been on all the dating apps to go oh how do they all work so how can i use that in tell me about this how did all this come about absolutely not no um but i i have spoken with uh people that have looked at different things and um yeah so i i guess i guess um we'll start with the synergy system so um what we when we looked at um dating and dating over a long period of time it's especially uh, you mentioned dating apps a lot of the dating apps are um you know built for surface decisions shall we say yep so um so we're making instantaneous judgments and we're selecting based on desire i guess um but when we 
and 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 we know that's a really and I know from people you know telling me that their journeys that it can be really quite a painful process yeah we can select um lots of people perhaps because there's lots of people being sent towards us at any one time and we're selecting based on what we see um and then we might meet them once or twice or we might talk to them for a little bit and we kind of figure out a few things and there's some bits that we like and some bits that we don't and maybe they took us to our favorite restaurant and that gets over the fact that they're maybe a little bit rude on the first date or whatever it may be so we're, we're kind of impacted a little bit on what our perception of who they might be is and then only once we've gone that next step and sort of that started to commit a little bit more and invest a little bit more do we find out really who they are really how they behave really what they value and what they decide to prioritize in their life including us um and that's really the wrong way around right because no no wonder that's so painful to get to this bit what it makes much more sense to do is to flip that around the other way and and say it might take a little bit more thought and it might not satisfy our desires so quickly, but hey, if I can focus on what I really value and what's really important to me, and then I can find that out of the other person, and I need to just be prepared that they might not know that either, but you know, what a fun exploration that is for you know, us exploring this together. I mean, if that's not already creating resonance and synergy, um, and what we might find out without any judgment really, or without any ill feelings or upset or anything like that, is that you just really value this stuff. And what that's going to mean is that I end up always feeling like this or always, you know, um, get left disappointed or, you know, it, it's just, I'm going to end up doing this stuff and you're going to end up doing that stuff. And we're, we're just probably not on the same paths. That's all. You know, you, you're a great person, really like you for who you are. Good luck, you know, stay in touch maybe, but we're just going like this. So rather than this really painful journey while I'm, I'm trying to pull this rope and draw you closer to me, why don't you just find someone that's going in the same direction as you and I'll find someone that's going in the same direction as me. So that we, we do that in the same way using the synergy system. We start with, um, you know, uh, goals or, or ambitions or um, hopes for the future. Um, and then we bring that a little bit closer and go, what's what's important right now? What's the next step for you? What would help you to move in a direction that fulfills you? Um, and then we would look at uh, the behavioral side of things. How does that physically show up, um, you know, in different environments and different scenarios? Um, and then we would work our way back and get to the desire, desireful bit which is, have you got some really cool skills you can bring into the business? Really, we ought to be leaving that to the end because somebody could bring the best skills in the world into a business, but if they fall out with everyone and they're doing everything in the opposite way to what the whole business is used to, they're probably not going to be there for very long. So what good, what good is amazing skills if, if they're not present? Um, yeah. I think we've talked about this before and we have a similar outlook on finding careers as well it's not about squeezing yourself into what's available based on your skills and qualifications um and I know that when uh, my clients get contacted by recruiters often it's because they've seen their profile 
and they can see they've got X, Y, Z skills and they're trying to force them down a particular pathway. Like based on your CV, this is your next role. You know, are you interested? But actually lots of people's LinkedIn profiles are not really up to date. They're not pointed towards where they're heading in terms of their next steps in their careers. As you said, their goals, their intentions. And also it's not outwardly stating what their career values are, what they value out of um, an organization and the culture. So it really can get people stuck in a particular pathway and um, because of what they've done so far rather than where they actually want to be. Yeah. So if I had um, a client and they were going to go, okay, I'm going to go down the process of uh, using a recruiter to help me find my next steps. What kind of things would you ask them to have thought about before they contact a recruiter? Okay, yeah, sure. And that that's that's where the talent model comes in. So the the synergy piece is, you know, what what's the what's the process that, you know, by which we can create, you know, alignment and synergy. The talent model then, you know, goes through what are the what are the steps to actually bring this to life so it doesn't, you know, end up being too theoretical. And the the talent starts for target um assets um locate engage nominate and test and improve so it all starts with target and and that's it's it's about clarity um where i would start if i was thinking about engaging a recruiter or even engaging direct with with a company would be to start with target and get really clear about um what's important to me and where i'm headed what the role, what the right role for me will be in terms of the, the um, you know, my development curve and what's important within the company that's going to give me an environment I can really thrive in. Um, so when it comes to you, you know, the, the, the place we really focus on is, is potential. The difficulty with potential is it's this nebulous thing where it's like you can't really touch potential and realistically, we're never, ever going to achieve our potential because every time we get there, it, it gets a little bit wider. It's like blowing a balloon up. It's like, um, you know, every time we blow that little bit of air in, it stretches and it gives a little bit more malleability to the, to the rubber. And then there's a bit more room. The difference between a human and a balloon, of course, is a balloon will pop and a human won't. Um, well, you say that, Dan, but I had a coaching session last week and my coach said, you know, most people, Hannah, just um, the research shows you should make potential incremental improvements of like 4% stretch growth. And she said, your problem is you try to do everything at 400%. Sure, sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, and, I get the and, and, and going going back to balloon, it's exactly the same, right? If you if you plugged in a, um, you know, um, a, a hose or something like that, and um and and immediately put it on full blast it would just it would just explode wouldn't it but if we can just you know feed it in a little bit and i totally totally agree with that the the difference from a performance perspective when we look at what gets the most out of people it's stretch and not stress you know and that's that's part of the skill particularly for managers and leaders is to find where that line is and that line is different for everybody so you know we can't just drive our team of 10 or 20 to a line because everyone's got a different line. So, and that's part of the art there, but, um, it, you know, going back to, going back to, to target, there's sort of four areas that we, um, tend to really focus for somebody. And that is, um, what they love, what they love doing, um, you know, that they get real enjoyment from 
um, that really lights them up. They don't need motivating or incentivizing. Um, they could just do that thing all the time. They just really enjoy it. Um, another thing is what are they good at? Um, and it, it can be from a developed skills point of view, but also what we look to, to draw out from people is what are they just naturally good at, just naturally talented. It could be a numbers thing. It could be manipulation of data. It could be um, they've just got an extraordinary warmth of character that they just build relationships so quickly. Um, so we look for, for where those sort of natural strengths are. Um, and then where is the area of value? Um, and of course, that depends on, you know, industry and technology and things like that. But where can I really add value? So um, it could be from that practical point of view, but it also, and this gets missed so much, um, and I would really love to crack this, but just not sure how um, just yet. So if uh, anyone's got any ideas, that'd be great. Um, but there's so much value can be added from a person based on what they've accumulated throughout life. I'm just a big believer that the CV does so little to present exactly who we are as a human being. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. I was working in a team or with a team um, with multiple different disciplines. And one area that we didn't need so much at this particular area of this project was, um, you know, uh, tech or, or programming. But we had um, a head programmer in our team. And there was a couple of times that he said, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is right for me to be here. I don't think I need to be here. But there were certainly at least two members of that team, that project team, that there was a, an amount of friction. Um, and when we could get through the friction, we got really great breakthroughs. And we were all united by the same thing, but they had such different styles that they just rubbed each other, you know, in a certain way. And this programmer just had this canny knack of calming the room and getting people back in the same direction. And sometimes it was just a question he said, and sometimes it was just something he said. And the first time I noticed it, I said to him, do you realize that this happens? And he said, no, I just, you know, I just want to go in one direction. And, um, you know, and, and where that came from was, um, you know, his, his background sort of early on in life, you know, a bit hectic with the, with the people and other children and, and stuff around him. And he, he just developed this knack of just keeping a group going in the right direction. So even though he wasn't in the room as a programmer, giving us his, um, you know, technology nows, he was he played such a pivotal role to just keeping us going, keeping the momentum going, keeping us together. Um, and um, I, I don't know what the results would have been without him and without that influence. But that's another piece of value that, you know, if we you mentioned CVs early and people's LinkedIn's being up to date, if we could really sort of bring out the whole of us and, and put that on a CV in a succinct way, I'm not talking about people, you know, here's my autobiography, can I have a job? Um, but if we could find a way of presenting that in the right way, then that that would be great as well. And then the last one is is needs. Um, you know, what are the needs of, um, you know, a business or, you know, an industry to have a breakthrough? Or, um, and, and what are my needs? So, you know, love, what do I love? What am I really great at? 
Um, where can I add most value and also receive value and who needs what I have and um, what needs does it satisfy of mine? And if you can orientate around those four um, and get them really clear, then um, that's that's a good start. Um, and just on the on the CV thing, because I, I don't want to miss it, but something that we've been uh, working with uh, people on is I, I, I also believe that CVs are written wrong. Um, they're written for the industrial era, um, as are job descriptions or many job descriptions. Um, and what it's doing is it's reinforcing this belief in, in the marketplace. And I, I hear way too many uh, HR directors and um, you know recruitment leaders say there's no talent in the market. Uh, and it just makes me cringe every time I hear that. Um, what, what I believe they're really saying is, I can't find the enough bullet points to match the bullet point on my job description. And if we've got a really bad job description and we find ways either using technology or automation or anything like that to find more bullet points on a CV, what we're doing is we're just making a poor method more efficient. Um, we're not actually re-engineering a better way of people finding connection, purpose and growth in a role, an organization finding ways of, um, you know, filling key roles with people that are really going to thrive in them. Um, and it doesn't need to be a complicated change. Um, for a job description, if we were more focused on what the objectives of the role were, so, and maybe it's an overarching goal, you know, the purpose of having this role filled would be this. And then there might be some sub-objectives in there. Um, and particularly if these were further out. So quite a lot of job descriptions, again, they're written as, you know, for sales, for example, we spend a lot of time in that space. Um, they would say, uh, need to be great with CRM, um, need to have negotiating skills, need to have good communication skills. Well, of course, they're going to have those skills, the salespeople. Um, and you're not going to hire somebody, most probably, that um, has never done sales before. Um, so especially if they've they've done those things, um, they're going to have those things. So they almost don't need writing on there. What's more important is if you as an organization, for example, are integrating a new CRM system or you're la launching a new product to market um, or you're looking to move into a different sector or you're looking to provide more value and build up your existing accounts you've got, and they're really key objectives to the strategy of the organization. That is much more relevant, powerful, interesting um, to me stepping into that role than just a list of things saying you must be able to present, you must be able to, um, you know, contact people without giving up. You know, I kind of already know that. But if this is a really important part of the business's next phase, then Actually, what I can now do, whether I am an existing salesperson or not, is I can go through the objectives that I've achieved during my life and say, you're looking to get something new to market. And here are three examples in which I've done that, you know, but I may have done that in a slightly different role or a slightly different guise. And in actual fact, I may have done that in a different industry. So again, what a lot of companies do is say, we need somebody to hit the ground running and really what that means is I want somebody to make a lateral transfer. So I want someone that spent five, 10 years in exactly the role I've got. 
And I want them to move to us and accept the same money and start again. And who's going to do that? There's there's no there's no incentive unless they unless there's been a restructure and they've been made redundant or um, you know they've fallen out of their manager or something. Um, but there's, there's no growth there, is there? No, no. no. Um, so if the job description was rewritten in that way, um, you know, objectives, key results, um, and then our CVs were rewritten in that way, and our, our LinkedIn's you know, whilst, whilst I was here, achieved this, achieved this, achieved this. Um, what that looked like physically in the business, tangibly in the business was this, this, and this. Um, then it would be really easy to compare those things. And the mega exciting thing about that is we could take people from completely different industries, maybe even completely different roles and say, hey, you know how you achieved that? How do you feel about achieving that here in a different environment or in a different context or whatever it may be? So now we're get, we are getting transferable skills and experience because you can't not have the skills and experience you've achieved the objective. But now we're bringing true diversity into our business because they've done it in a different environment with a different group in a different geography, whatever it may be. Um, and when we look at, you know, the examples that we really sort of herald and hold up high, you know, I don't know, the, the Wright brothers, for example. No, they if somebody was looking for a lateral transfer for the first airplane engineer, you'd never find them because they didn't exist. But the Wright brothers built photocopiers, they built printing machines, um, and then they opened up a bike shop and started fixing bikes. And the amalgamation of those two different experiences allowed them to design what was the first airplane. So we're missing so much out. This one, the phrase, there's no talent, it's such a limiting belief. It's totally holding people and organizations back. And um, and the risk of not embracing that is we're just leaving so much talent on the table. There's so much opportunity out there if we could just look at it slightly differently. And I think the way that you're looking at it is very much <laughs> the way that I look at it too. It's about defining a person's value, looking at their purpose, mission, vision. So where they've been and where they're heading to, getting yeah. distilling out those key themes getting the natural talent so that what, not just what I've done, what are my key skills and qualifications, but where am I in flow? Where do I add the most value? Yeah. Aligning them to your career value. So what I need, what I want, what I desire out of work as well. Um, and when you encapsulate all of that together, you have all the information that the recruiters like you, who are good, are actually looking for. And then they can do something with that in terms of the matchmaking and the, the synergy part. So I think... Um, we're both aligned on those things so I love that and also you talked there about this if CVs and if um, you know job descriptions were done in a different way and I, I totally agree that would be amazing if that was actually true um, and I hope that that's the way things head in the future but now I ask my clients to write impact statements so that they can align to the skills or the talents but do it with context like this is the skill, but this is the context I achieved that in. This is the quantifiable result. And you could absolutely do that if the objectives were there instead. So I think there's room for maneuver. Yeah. But in terms of recruitment, so I just want to ask you a couple of questions before we finish. So recruitment isn't just for individuals or small organizations either. So tell me the circumstances within which a large organization would um who have a talent acquisition team, for example, a HR department, would then outsource to a recruiter to find somebody. 
Sure. Um, okay. So I would say typically the the sort of largest reasons around outsourcing to recruitment are because they lack either capacity in the business. So maybe the internal recruitment team have, have got so much on. Um, the hiring managers are maybe more involved than they'd like, and they've got their own day job, let alone recruitment. They've maybe not got the sort of skills and experience in recruitment, so it's not one of their favoured things to do. So maybe it's a capacity thing. It could be uh, knowledge, so it could be like specialist knowledge. Um, so, for example, of course, recruitment sits within um, HR. Um, I actually think moving it wouldn't be a bad thing. So, um, so maybe if there was a sort of hybrid bridge position between sales and marketing and HR, that would be a great thing because sales and marketing get brought in to speak to people and communicate people and to convey value. And that's exactly what we're doing with a role or an opportunity in our business. And HR typically, um, uh, you know, are quite compliant led and policies and procedures and stuff like that. So I think there's there's an element of, of HR that's really great for it, but there's also an element of sales and marketing. I think if they could collaborate, they'd get much better results. Um, so, so it might be a specialist knowledge. So, um, you know, uh, if there's a HR manager, for example, really, really great HR manager, um, but hasn't got the technical engineering um, knowledge or maybe the the scientific background or, or whatever. And there might be some really key things for that particular role that might alleviate uh, some or mitigate risk um, in the role for things they do know or don't know. So they might bring a recruiter in that's been in that space for a long time um, and knows the technical roles. Maybe they've actually been in the technical role themselves and they've now moved into recruitment. So it could be a knowledge thing, so capacity or knowledge. Or the third thing is desire. Um, and I know that might come across a bit of a surprise, but um, some, some HR teams, their favorite thing to do isn't recruitment. Um, and maybe they haven't got a big talent acquisition team, or maybe they have got a talent acquisition team, but they really don't re like recruiting for certain roles. So um, I've spoken with a, a talent acquisition lead, and that brought us into uh, hire all of their sales roles, so all of their client facing roles because they didn't like interviewing salespeople. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still on that journey, uh, still talking that through and, um, you know, helping the understanding of who they are as people and how they come across and how their behaviours might be a little bit different and why. Um, but, yeah, it's just they would rather somebody else do it. Um, yeah. And I know last time we chatted, you also talk about sometimes it might be volume, like sheer volume of, we need to fill a whole new team suddenly yeah. and it, it might be too much. They don't have capacity. You also yeah. talked about key roles and hard to fill roles like technical roles that they might not have the specialist skills for. Yeah. So yeah. as my clients looking to potentially align to recruiters that are like good, like you, what should they be looking out for? That's a great question. They... I think it starts with them, you know, as we've said, not to sort of, you know, labor the point, but it starts with their own clarity. So I think working with somebody like you um, is a really um, great step um, because it can be hard to find our own clarity. Um, you know, and I've had coaches for for years now. And um, whenever I take a little break or may maybe when I move from one coach to another um, and I find myself in a little spot trying to figure something out, 
And I think I know the co coaching methodology. I've run a consultancy specializing in NLP. It's, um, but doing it for yourself and trying to draw it out of yourself can be really hard sometimes. And um, you and I both know the phrase mountain of value, right? And it's, and it, and it is the case as we're stood on, um, you know, our mountain. And I did it. I, you know, I went up Kilimanjaro in 2019. And as you stand at the top and you look out uh, across Kenya, you can see Mount Kenya. And it's really easy to stand there and go, oh, look at that, looks amazing. When are we going there then? And you go, hey, hang on a second. I'm stood right here. <laughs> Just climbed the largest standalone mountain on the planet and you're already looking and, you know, it, it's it's just 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 you know sit tight and 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 be grateful and appreciate what's here. And it's unless you've got a blowing ego, um, it can be hard to do that for ourselves. So I think working with somebody like yourself, um, and and maybe if budgets don't permit, um, or um, or, or whatever it may be, um, if you could find a trusted friend to to give you that feedback and help you with that reflection, would would be a, a great start. And then to get really clear, you mentioned purpose and purpose, mission and vision. Um, so if I don't know if you're familiar with Viktor Frankl's work, but he talks a lot about purpose and man's search for meaning, but it could be woman's search for meaning as well, of course. Um, and he talks about three things very similar to that is what is your hope for the future? Um, and I really love that question. Sometimes when we go vision, um, a lot of society tells us, you know, what house do we want and what car do we want and what's the lifestyle we want? And but a, a more powerful question can be, what, what do we hope for, for the future? Um, and just let yourself go with that. Notepad open, blank piece of paper. And because what you'll, you'll find is so much comes out about other people and all of those things are really important. Um, so, so what's our uh, hope? Um, what would help me take the next step today? Um, so that kind of alludes to the role a little bit. And, um, and then um, who is it for or who is it with? So that kind of then leads into the company. So um, again, just gaining sort of clarity around those. Um, if I did the personal bit and go, you know, I know where I'm headed and, you know, um, I know what's the next step for me. I know what, what you know, want to achieve and where really lights me up and where I've got a natural ability. I'm really going to lean into flow there. I'm not going to go the hard route. I'm going to go, um, you know, with this route that feels right to me. Um, and then from a role perspective, just a really simple question to ask is, what are the three most important things about my next role? Um, and it's really quite interesting what comes out. And the most interesting piece is what comes out after the first bit that comes out. So typically how our brain works is things, uh, you know, sit on the surface of our brain so that our, you know, we can um, uh, get access to them really quickly. If we can get through them or put them down, then what we do is start to access a deeper side to ourselves. So if we go three most important things um, and ignore the fact it's three and we just go for quantity rather than quality to begin with and pour thoughts down on a piece of paper, um, then come back to it. And maybe there's a good goal is like 20. You need to get to 20 really to start to sift out the everyday stuff um but but go for gold um you know i've done an exercise with with teams where individuals have come up with like 90 things you know in like five minutes doesn't need to take a long time it's just flush it all out um and then go back to the original question and go what are the three most important things um and it's really surprising or not so much after you've done it for for a little while but those things just jump out at people and go actually do you know what thinking about it 
it is so important. So I just spoke with somebody yesterday, for an example, um, an operations manager who's neurodiverse. Um, and at first they were talking about, um, you know, a team that's really nice, that they collaborate really well and all of this sort of stuff. And we chatted for a little while and, um, and asked some questions. And what I was kind of doing, really, I was guiding her to just flush the stuff because what she was telling me really is kind of what everyone says in their natural reaction. So we get that stuff out um, and then go back to what's the most important? You know, it's like, just, just pause for a second on that. That's all really great stuff. We definitely find that. But what's the most important? Um, and then she shared about her neurodiversity um, and actually um, being with a manager um, or certainly a team or a business that had some experience in working with people of neurodiversity. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it, it's it's quite obvious as to why that's so important. But actually, when we tapped into that and spoke about that a little bit, that was so important to her. And she could potentially miss it in her next role. Um, and then she goes in and, you know, her first month, second month, they're okay. And she could have really quite a painful experience in that sort of six, eight, 12 months or um, because because she hasn't got that. So um, so when it comes to the role, what are the three most important things? And then again, again, from the company, um, from a company perspective, what are the three most important things? Um, and quite often what I find is people don't lean into that so much uh, because it's, do I really know? And how do I really know before I get into the business? Um, but there, there, there are ways, um, you know, and they might not be, bulletproof but um you know if we if we come out with our most important the things we value then what we can start to do is look for maybe their language in their posts the language of their team members and the things they celebrate and I, I don't just mean you know we're getting behind mental health month it's you know kind of everyone does that really um but who really leans into it and continues it after the month's over who spends money, invests money, creates partnerships? What are the senior leadership team saying? Um, you know, how long have the senior leadership team been there? How openly do they talk about their goals and their mission? Um, you know, what's on review sites? And sometimes you have to take that with a pinch of salt a little bit. Um, but yeah, you can do that. And there's, you know, part of our process is behavioral assessments. So um, a little deeper than the personality stuff, because it's great to know I'm a yellow person and I'm really happy, but when things get really stressful, I'm probably not that happy. So I'm more interested in how the situation influences my behavior than what the label of me is. Um, and if we do behavioral assessments, what we can do is do cultural assessments on a business. So sometimes when we engage with um, uh, you know, recruiters or companies, we can say, hey, have you done any sort of cultural mapping? Or have you done any behavioral mapping or have you done any team dynamic work um, where you know um, how the business works or what really works well and what doesn't so much or what the gaps are in your teams where the most value could be added? Have you have you thought, you know, and if the instant answer is no, then they might not be quite as conscientious maybe as you. And maybe there's some value to add by you bringing that to the party um, or, or maybe um maybe you might not be able to find that out. And then, therefore there is a bit of a risk that you're going to enter the business and then find it out. And it might be a little bit too late. You end up with a two month sort of blot on your CV where it didn't work out.
And I often say this when people are really keen on DEI, you know, lots of organizations have fancy DEI statements on their websites, but when it comes to the reality on the ground, what's actually going on and how actually do they support people? But I think you have given us a mountain of value to think about today. And I want to thank you that for that, Dan. And I feel like we need a part two just about Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Thanks so much for being here. No problem at all. Great to be here. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.